Hello and welcome to JOSPT Insights, the podcast that aims to help you translate quality research to quality practice. I'm Claire Ardern, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Orthopaedic and Sports Physical Therapy. It's great to have you listening today. This week on JOSPT Insights, we are back in our Sports Corner series, breaking down Aussie rules football, also known as footy. We are sitting down with Melissa Haberfield, who has 15 years of clinical experience as a physiotherapist and is currently working in elite women's Australian football. Melissa has been with the AFLW for five years and has also worked with elite women's basketball and gymnastics. She's currently a PhD candidate at La Trobe University in Melbourne, Australia, and is interested in investigating the differences between men and women who run, particularly those with a history of knee surgery. As you'll hear about in this episode, she was part of the team to develop an injury prevention program for women and girls playing Australian rules football. My name is Dan Chapman. I'm a U.S.-based physical therapist and owner of Chapman PT in Baltimore, Maryland. And I'm Chelsea Kuman, a physical therapist and athletic trainer at Stanford University Athletics. Melissa, thank you so much for joining us on JOSPT Insights. So I'm just going to come right out and, and jump on this grenade here and ask you to please strictly for our listeners and certainly not for me, can you clarify the difference between rugby and footy? Well, the first thing is oh boy, Aussie rules footy is not rugby, so <laughs> completely different sports. So that's probably one of the big, pretty common misconception, I think, outside of Australia that rugby and AFL are the same thing. So I'm going to just call it footy from now on because that's what we call it here in Australia and definitely in Melbourne. So completely different sports. AFL is a 360-degree sport, so it's unlike any other sport in the whole world. It's played on a huge ground that is bigger than any other sports ground in the world, and it's an oval shape. When you first watch it, it looks like there are no rules, but there are some rules. (laughs) Um, With AFLW, so that's the women's game, there's 16 players on the field for each team. With the men's, there's 18 on the field for each team. So it's pretty hectic. That's a lot of players. Basically, there's positions. So you have forwards, midfielders, and backs, but there's no offside rule and any player can go anywhere on the field uh, at any time. So the main aim of the game is to move the ball up the field and score. And to score, there's four posts at the end of each end of the field. And if you kick it through, The middle ones, it's a goal and it's worth six points. If you kick it through the outer one on either side, it's worth a point and we call that a behind. Basically, you can move the ball up the field in three different ways. You're not allowed to throw the ball, so that's the difference between rugby and rugby. They throw it. In footy, you have to hand pass it. So it's where you have the ball and you punch it with your fist to another player. So you can do that as many times as you want. You can run with the ball, but you have to bounce it every 15 metres. The ball is shaped similar to a rugby ball, maybe a bit slimmer, but I don't know if you've ever tried to bounce a rugby ball or an NFL ball. Pretty hard, especially when you're running. It sounds like absolute madness. (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. (laughs) So you could run the whole length of the field and score a goal as long as you bounce it every 15 metres and nobody tackles you. And then the other way to move the ball is by kicking, and that's probably the most common way. So 
the athletes in the men and the women's game, the elite kickers, they can hit a target on the run and the guys can kick huge, like 70 metres. The girls can kick up to 50 metres. Wow. Yeah, so it's a pretty big kick and they can be accurate as well. It's a contact sport, but there are no pads or helmets, so it's pretty brutal. You've got to be very fit. You've got to be able to run. It's a huge field, so it's a lot of running, but you've got to be able to, you've got to be strong to take contact and you've got to be able to kick as well. The ridiculous of, ridiculousness of trying to dribble that ball <laughs> and also punch it. Yeah. Now that we have like a brief overview. So now what are the physiologic demands on these athletes? Sounds like I don't know if things need to be broken down by position because people are in positions, but also everywhere. So if you want to go into that, you can. Yep. There's the men's league and then the women's league. Both are, well, the men's is a fully pro- professional league. And it's actually an incredibly old sport. So the sport was actually invented in the 1800s. So it's been around for a long time. And yeah, the men have been professional since the 80s and 90s. And then the the AFL, the league, decided to bring the women's professional league in 2017. So we're into season eight this year. So it's, you know, evolving very quickly. We started with only eight teams in the national AFLW comp, but now we've got all 18 teams. So same as the men. Every professional club has a women's team now. Before I get into the physiology, what's important to understand is the athletes, our female athletes, it's semi-professional. So we're not quite at the point yet where they are full-time. We're getting really close, but it does impact on the demands of the sport and the demands of the staff as well because basically the players and the staff still work in our normal jobs and then we do the AFL in our spare time. So the girls usually train at night and on the weekend, four sessions a week and still go to work, which, yeah. But the pay is getting a lot better. So even the bottom player will get now $40,000 per season, which is pretty good money to play footy. And the top players are getting up around the high 70s. In terms of the physiology, basically these athletes have to be able to run both volume and speed because the the game requires both. So they're endurance athletes that need to be able to sprint and they need to be able to lift in the gym, lift heavy because they have to be so strong because they have to be able to withstand tackling and being hit and bumped all the time. So I'll give you an example. Our average kilometers per game is about six and a half kilometers per game, which is about four miles. But our top player will run about 9K a game, which is about 5.5 miles. Within that, they're doing three kilometers of high-speed running, which is quite a lot. And then sprinting our top player will do 500 meters of sprinting within that as well our top player her max speed is 30 kilometers an hour which is like 18 miles an hour wow um so the and these are the girls so the the guys numbers are bigger than that the guys will run 12k a game in terms of the breakdown the mids backs and the forwards in the women's game it's similar, but probably our mids and our backs average more kilometers per game than the forwards. So the mids and the backs are doing about 7K a game, 
and our forwards are running about five and a half kilometres a game. The midfield are the the really elite players that are everywhere all the time and they just run, 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 run. And then, yeah, in the gym, our girls are deadlifting about 165 kilos. That's a 1RM and 1RM bench press is 75 kilos and these are players that might only be, you know, 165 centimetres tall and weigh 55 kilos or 60 kilos. They're pretty powerful athletes. So you just basically have to be really good at everything. I mean, endurance, high speeds, strong, accurate kicks, yeah. high rate of force development, neuromuscular coordination to tackle and to avoid tackles. And it seems like you mentioned there are some slight differences in positions, but since you can go anywhere on the field, there's actually much less specialization compared to, let's say, American football, where you have you know, your quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, etc. Can you talk about, with all of these different sport demands that are on these athletes, what are the common injuries that you're seeing most on the field? In the professional league, in the AFLW, ACL injury and concussion are two of the big ones. So in terms of ACL, we we did a bit of a study on this when the AFLW first started and basically the, the women were up to nine times more likely to do their ACL than the men. So quite a significant risk, whereas within other sports, so like basketball or the risk is only two times higher than the male counterparts. So it's quite a big jump. And I think that's pretty multifactorial. Basically, footy, girls' footy didn't exist when I was growing up. Like you couldn't go and play girls' footy. So it's had an explosion in popularity. There's a lot of cross-coders, so girls coming from basketball or soccer, other sports, and playing this sport that's full contact, 360 degree on a big field that requires a lot of fitness, a lot of running, and basically we just didn't had grown up doing that. So ACLs is a big problem. The AFL are working really hard and all the teams are working really hard to to bring those numbers down, which is amazing. At the moment, it's about one per team per season, three per 1,000 playing hours. Concussion's the next biggie and it probably makes sense. We don't wear helmets or anything, so not surprised probably. But yeah, the girls weren't very good at tackling or knowing the correct technique to tackle it's getting a lot better, but the ball spends a lot of its time on the ground. So you've got to be able to pick the ball up. It's called a ground ball. And a lot of the girls didn't know how to get their head out of the way because often there'd be a player coming in to contest the ball and, yeah, people get concussions. So that, again, it's improving a lot. The technique's becoming much more elite and starting from when girls are seven or eight playing footy now. So they're learning the skills from a young age. Concussion, it's about two per team per season. And so it's about six per 1,000 playing hours. What we're actually seeing, and I think this is good because it shows the development in the athletes, we're actually now seeing more hammy, hammy tears, hamstrings. In the first few seasons, I don't, they weren't running fast enough, hard enough to be getting hammy injuries, but now we're starting to see them. I actually think that's a sign of progress, even though they're getting injured. But yeah, we're seeing about two ham hamstrings per 1,000 playing hours. And then other things like 
ankle injury, shoulder injury, just from the contact basically. Like they jump and land, they roll their ankles, they get tackled, they can hurt their shoulders. So that's in the elite space. In the community space, it's similar in a lot of ways. So ACL and concussion is still a problem and it's about on par with the elite space. But interestingly, in the community space, so the injury rate of hamstring is way lower. So might be indicative of they don't, they're not running as fast or as much in the community game, but hand and finger injuries are eight times higher than in the elite space. So again, the ball, it's a funny shape. And if you don't know how to catch it, it's really common to break your fingers. That I think you might be the first person ever to celebrate a hamstring strain. <laughs> in the best way. Yeah, in the best way possible. It shows they're becoming more elite. We obviously don't want it to happen. Yeah, well, and I also wonder too, like it's you said that the AFL's doing a lot to try to work on that nine times injury risk for ECLs. I was just curious to see like what kind of things you guys are implementing for prevention. Yeah, I think it's such a good point. In the elite space, once we continue to professionalize, the injury rates will go down. We're seeing the same thing happening in European female soccer, where they're now playing 50 games a season. Their ACL rates are out of control because they don't have the resources to support that level of competition. So I think if it's resourced well, the injury rates will go down. But at the moment, we do our absolute best. So we see the girls four times a week. We have three physios for a squad of 30, a couple of trainers. We also have a team doctor. We have a dietitian. We have a psychologist. So we're really well resourced considering, but everybody comes from their full-time job to the footy club. The AFL have partnered with us at Latrobe Uni here in Melbourne and we've developed an injury prevention program specifically for female footy. We did it in the elite space and then in the community space because the community space is where we're going to have the most impact because participation rates have grown massively since the AFL has come in and females now make up a third or almost a third of players who play Aussie rules footy worldwide. And there is a league in the States. You guys should look it up. You should go play. About to Google it right now. I could get my fitness up, Melissa. <laughs> yeah. <it is. laughs> if we can get these seven and eight-year-old girls and then into their teens, learning how to move, how to be a bit stronger and starting those good habits from that age, we think by the time they professionalize, hopefully we can have an impact on, on injury rates at that professional level. Professional teams are pretty well resourced now, so they're taking care of themselves. They're doing really robust injury prevention, but the community, that's where the magic will happen, we think. They need support. As we know, implementation, <laughs> there's lots of injury prevention out there, but coaches don't use them. We've just finished a big randomized control trial on trying to support coaches to increase their use of injury prevention. So keep it keep an eye out for that. It's Ooh. called prep to play. That sounds like it's a it's a common thing I feel like in all of these is like important to recognize the stakeholders and realize yeah. what they need and tailor it to what the coaches really need and for all that implement all, all that implementation. I feel like it's come up in a lot of these sports corners. Yeah, exactly. That's the big thing. 
For PTs listening, what do you want them to really be taking into consideration before they put someone back on the field and put them back into play? Like every sport, you've got to think about the sport-specific demands when you're rehabbing an injury. So something like if we take a hamstring injury, for example, we need to think about obviously rehabbing the hamstring as we would, so strength and length and all of those basic things. But then we need to think about running volume, so total volume. We need to think about exposure to high-speed running and then top-end running, so sprinting. We also need to think about kicking volume and intensity because if you leave the kicking too late to bring that into your rehab, then their risk of re-injury is high. So you can't back-end your kicking load. You've got to start it early, but it does require the hamstring to, to go on to full length. There's a really iconic photo, Taylor Harris, one of the stars of the AFLW. It's a really famous photo of her kicking and you will not believe her range. It's amazing. Chelsea's seen it. Yeah, I just I, I'm Googling face. it right now. I'm, I, I couldn't, I couldn't not. I mean, she's like, she's like a dancer. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So you've got to think about kicking volume and intensity. You've also got to think about the contact skills. Cause if you've got a player who is maybe rehabbing a grade two hammy, so you could be six to eight weeks that player then is missing out on all that contact. And so we have to integrate them back into contact and physicality and tackling and grappling and their confidence around that. So there's quite a lot to think about on top of your all your just basic rehab goals. And then footy-specific skills, like any sport, there's sport-specific skills that you've got to think about, ground balls, tackling, all those things as well. We try and think about with our rehabs, what's the end point? What are the milestones this player needs to reach? How much high-speed running or sprinting will they need to do in a week or in a game? And that's where we start and we work our way backwards from that. And before they're cleared to return, they must be exposed to those things and be able to tick off all those things as well. The uniqueness of the game is the running, the kicking, the high-speed running, and the contact. So you've got to incorporate all those things. Keep up with what you can, right? If you're having one thing, you can at least try to like, you know, keep up with all the other things because it's a good way to think about it. Like you just can't back, you can't back up. So as much as you can keep in there to start learning it as soon as you can is a really good way to think about that. I like it. Yeah, your point of starting early, not waiting until you have already hit all the other milestones to then integrate your sport-specific work, but integrate your sport-specific work as soon as you actually can is really really important yeah exactly okay i feel like i've learned so much both from youtube googling this kicking motion which is wild you have to google it and all of your expertise on afl stuff on footy i'm so sorry on footy is there anything else that you're really excited to tell everybody about for footy that you wanted to pass along we can feel your passion on footy oh the only thing to pass on is that the, the best team to follow in the AFLW is the North Melbourne Kangaroos. And especially for our international <laughs> listeners, we have a kangaroo on our jersey. Come on, guys. You, you guys will love that. Definitely don't listen to Claire Ardern. She doesn't know which team to follow. North Melbourne. Look Actually, it up. This is the first trash talk we've ever experienced on here, yeah. and I'm here for it. I'm For so the record, I'm going to keep that in. 
but I'm not the one that does the final edit. So you'll know if that doesn't make it into the final episode, you're going to know like who actually cleaved that out. Melissa, we are so appreciative of you taking the time and taking us through all this. I am excited to go find some footy in my life now. Thank you so much for joining us on Drago's PT Insights. No worries. Thanks for having me. Once again, we want to thank physiotherapist Melissa Happerfield for joining us on the show. And as always, we want to thank you for listening to JOSPT Insights. Thanks for listening to this episode of JOSPT Insights. For more discussion of the issues in musculoskeletal rehabilitation that are relevant to your practice, subscribe to JOSPT Insights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google, or your favorite podcast app. If you like JOSPT Insights, help others find us. Tell your friends and colleagues and rate and review us. To keep up to date with all the latest JOSPT content, be sure to follow us on Twitter, we're at JOSPT, and Facebook, we're JOSPT Official. Talk with you next time. Mm-hmm.